Welcome to Defender. I'm your host, David Marsh. And today we have a great show lined up for you with special guest, John Riette. Defender would like to welcome John Riette to the show. John's vast experience includes serving in the U.S. Army for 20 years, working for the DOD, the DOE, and finally as a global security data center area security manager at a Fortune 50 company. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Um, thanks for accepting. I appreciate it. Well, I'd love to hear about this 20 years of service in the U.S. Army just to kind of start things off. Um, you know, what led you and, and how you got to here now? Well, I'd like, I'd like to say it was some high calling um, to a degree, I guess it was. I was a 19-year-old kid from uh, New Rochelle, New York, and I was bumbling my way around in life. And my buddies actually called an Army recruiter as a, as a goof. And I get a phone call, and this is 1980. And I get a phone call and the guy called and said, hey, you know, are you going to make your appointment today? I'm like, what appointment? He said, well, you got an appointment today with me to go over. I said, yeah, okay, I'll play your game. So I went up there and I, I did okay on the test. I did pretty well. And we started talking and talking. And I was like, this sounds really cool. And I started thinking more about it because I'm like, I'm going nowhere doing what I'm doing nothing. Yeah. So I go home to my mom and my dad, and I go, I'm joining the Army. And my mom just laughed. She just just laughed. And uh, I said, no, really, I'm going to join the Army. She's like, okay, yeah, just keep me posted. So that kind of tells you what, you know, <laughs> my, the way I was up to that point. Yeah, no one believes you, right? Yeah, no You're one believes like, you. Yeah. So I went to the MEPS. I took the tests. I did very well. I signed a, a contract. And um, I went home. I said, yeah, I leave in like two days. My mom was like, wait a minute. What do you mean? I said, I told you I'm joining the Army. She's like, no, no, no. So join the Army. Um, very blessed. I would, I bumbled and stumbled my way through, uh, the ranks. I got, I started as a regular infantry. I worked my way up. I finally got, uh, I was mechanized infantry. I was let to call leg infantry. I was, uh, airborne infantry. Then I was a drill instructor. I was light infantry. Wow. And then I got into deep long range reconnaissance. I did that. And by then, then I worked in an arms control unit when I was stationed in Germany. And then I ended up in Fort Drum, New York, beautiful place, upstate New York. And I retired out of there after a 20-year career, and I retired as an E8. And, wow. um Yeah, I, I was very blessed. I, I had people above me who saw something in me that said, you know, he may be a little rough around the edges and may be like the little lab puppy. But they saw something in me, and they took a chance on me. And... I'd like to think I did the same with others and on and on. And I've been very blessed in my life and, and um, in my military career that way. And then I just kind of started getting into, I had a couple of gig jobs and then I got into security um, right after nine 11, I was working what was left of the world trade center site based mm -hmm. on my background. Uh, I was doing some higher end security and then I ended up working for an engineering firm because I could build teams and learn that. And then um, they came out with doing vulnerability assessments on water and power and utilities, the old RAM methodology. And I was lucky enough to be with a company that said, hey, we want you to go and be our point on this. And they sent me and I got certified through Sandia Labs on RAM. Wow. And I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, I went up and down the East Coast working with power, utility, and how they would integrate, and one can't work without the other, and if you're a bad person, where's your critical points? And, and I somehow, 
just kept moving up and up. And then um, I ended up working with the Department of Energy out at Saint, out uh, at the training center, National Training Center, Albuquerque, Albuquerque. And I was a part of the vulnerability assessment program. And to me, that was just like the military force protection and on and on and on. Yeah. And one thing led to another. And I got a call from a, a Fortune 50. And they said, would you be interested in looking at data centers and critical infrastructure? And I went, sure, I can do that. And I've been with uh, doing that now about six and a half years. Um, but to me, it's the same thing. It's the critical infrastructure. It's the protection of the property. And transferring my military over, it, to me, it's still the same basic thing. If you and I were in a position, we have to pull security. What are our threats? What are our vulnerabilities? Then if yeah. there's a squad of us and then on and on and on and trying to figure out what the bad people may or may not do. How do you anticipate it? How do you communicate it? How do you detect it, prevent it? And then here I am talking to you today. Well, that's great. What, what was it like after 20 years uh, to jump back into civilian It was tough. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, uh, based upon my background and the units, like I said, I was airborne. I was ranger. I was infantry. I... Um, and when you retire, this is really interesting. When you retire from the police force or the military, and I mean retire, not just get out, and I'm not trying to make light of anything, but you've done 20 years or more, 30 years or more, it's very hard. You left at the top of your game. Mm. And I've worked with people who've retired from the police department. I've worked with people who retired from the military. And everybody says, oh, it's not you. And I go, no, it is you. Because you're leaving at the top of your game. When you walk in that room, everybody goes, oh, thank God you're here. Now, you're not that person because you're starting generally entry level or mid-level based on yeah. experiences, but you have to build that credibility. Whereas everybody knew you when you left, now it's very hard to mentally transition that. And in the military, you'd say, you go there, do this. Oh, of course, Sergeant. And they run away and they do it. And that works. And in the civilian world, Hey, I need you to go over there. Well, you, I don't work for you. Well, if we all work together, yeah, but I don't work for you, or my contract doesn't allow that. And you're like, what? So it's it's learning a whole new um, system, dynamic system, yeah. yeah, and and then adapting to it. And it takes. I I think it probably took me, and I'll be honest, about two to three years because now here's these people, these civilians, and you have to talk to them, and you have to you know watch what you say and how you say it and how you do these things but it's a new system to learn and once you start learning it you can overlay and apply your military skills and hopefully it you move up and you end up on a podcast like this <laughs> well i was going to say i mean that that has to help you right absolutely and, and that's that what you just sort of sparked a uh, a question i have for you which is I saw your your book. I just want you to kind of cover this a little bit, if you don't mind, of uh, sure. your range card for life. Man, this is something. What I, I wish I had something like that in my twenties, um, because like you you were saying, I kind of just sort of stumbled through, you know, things, and uh, it's kind of funny. And you have kids, of course, then you know that that levels things up a little bit for you, yeah, for sure, absolutely, um, with responsibilities, but. This was a this is really cool. Uh, if you wouldn't mind covering how that can help people, they don't have to be in the military to to benefit from. No, from no. Um, so it came about again utilizing and overlaying my like military skill sets. And first of all, in the military, well, what what's the task? What do we have to do? 
What do we have to do? Okay. Now, what do we need to do that? Is it time? Is it effort? Is it energy? Is it training? Is it people? What kind of equipment, special equipment? And you just, after a while, it's just the second nature. So I used to, for lack of better terms, help people like, oh, I got this problem. What am I going to do? I don't, well, what is it you're trying to do? I, I got to get the certificate to do welding. Okay, well, that's the goal. We'll go get a welding certificate. Well, what yeah. do you need to do that? Oh, I got to go to school. Okay, go to school. How are you going to get to school? I got to walk, transportation. And I used to have people go, man, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. And one night I was in a, uh, my local uh, sports pub up in Rhode Island, and this guy came in. I knew. I said, what's the problem? He goes, oh, I got to do this and this. So we had three goals. I'm like, all right, just let's write them down. And literally on a bar napkin, I drew it out for him. And he goes, man, you need to write a book. So I got back to my house and I had just enough beer in me and a couple in the fridge and I sat down on my computer. I'm going to write a book. And I started writing it, writing it, writing it. And then it slowly evolved to how do you help, for lack of a better term, civilians? Yeah. Because a lot of people say, oh, I want to be a millionaire. Okay, that's the goal. That's not yeah. the path. That's not the plan. That It doesn't, doesn't just happen. So what is it you need to do that? What is it you need to be competitive? And also, you know, for my daughter and my son, I kind of showed them how I would whiteboard those things. I always, I have the, you know, whiteboard that or yep. go, follow the plan. What's the plan? And sometimes a plan is an hour, but you follow it. Sometimes a plan is years. Oh, I need to get a man. If I'm going to be competitive to get to the next level in my position or in my corporation, you have the required and the desired. Well, if the required says you must have a master's, then it's cut and dry. You have to right. get a master's or you stay where you're at. So what do I, what do I need to do to get a master's? Okay, I got to determine what I want it to be, you know, and then you go down the line. And it's, you know, I even in the book, and thank you for allowing me to talk about your range card for life, is even if you're planning a barbecue, okay, so what do you do? Well, what if it rains? What if it does this and this and this? Have a plan. And if the plan changes, okay, how do you adapt to the change? Right. And then how do you communicate the plan? And how do you make people understand their piece of that plan? And then make sure they come together. Well, and so funny. that's how that book started. And I've, I've had people contact me. And I had one gentleman said, I got this for my grandkids. And I read it. It was so easy. He said, I think they understand. And the plan is that, you know, kids panic because my, my daughter, I love her. She would look at the mountain. She would look at the stat. Oh, my God. I'm, uh, and it's overwhelming for a lot of kids now because when I was a kid, they used to teach us logic and critical thinking in school. So you could right. kind of slow down. the. You could kind of tap the brakes and slow it down. But I think sometimes today the kids don't know how to do that because they've never been shown how. And one of the things I mentioned in the book is sometimes you got to pull over to the rest stop. Check your plan. Are you, are you, are you on track? Are there critical points? I, hey, by this time, I should have this. If I don't have it, why don't I have it? And is it because I'm not making enough money or this happened? Analyze it and just take those brief looks. And after a while, by doing that and doing that, and I, and I wish I had had it at 20, but I probably, I probably would have just put it on the shelf and go, yeah, great, wonderful, and use it as a paperweight. I don't know. And I, it came, this book came through the prism at the time of a 55-year-old guy writing it for other people and it, it's been well received and like i said i had, when i had a grandfather contact me and said hey I've, i'm using this with my kids my granddaughters and i had one person say 
My husband and I read this. They were on some road trip. Um, and we read it within an hour and we went back and read it again. And I wanted to make that book. I mean, you, you, you know, you've read leadership books or process books or project management books and they're, they're 400 pages. Yeah. It's just, oh, come on. Yeah. Is there really 400 pages to write on a plan on making a plan? So I just took, you know, and it says military management techniques to help you control the everyday chaos. So I took simple things we had in the military, like, okay, do this. Task, condition, standard. Task, what do I need to do? Condition, what are my environmentals? What do I have? What resources? And what standard do I have to do this task to to be considered successful? Well, I need to check with my wife or I need to check with my boss. Say, what, what, are I, what do I need to do to be successful in your eyes? Well, now I, now I know what I need to do. And if that's attainable and realistic, then I can do it. But if it's not attainable and it's not realistic or I don't have what I need to do to get that task done to be successful, then you owe it to yourself. But more importantly, you owe it to the person who gave you that task whatever that, whoever that person is to say, this is not attainable. And here's why, because I planned the plan. I've done the analysis. Mm -hmm. You want me to dig a trench to lay this big pipe, but all I have is a tablespoon. Now I can do it, but I'm not going to get it done in a day. I either need a shovel or a backhoe. And most, I found most bosses, if you approach them in that manner and you show you, you, you've thought this out, you've shown that you've made a plan and you've done it on a whiteboard or a notepad, the gaps will show themselves. Why can't right. I get from here to here? Is yeah. it financial? I mean, I went through that uh, for many years. Um, and so I said, okay, I got to save or I got to plan this thing out in order to get my master's. I can't do it in two years. It's going to take me three. Okay. If the goal is get the master's, then three years is what it is. But right. you get it, and now I can apply for these other positions. And, and I'm using a master's as, a, as an example. Same thing for certificates in welding or electronics, whatever it is. So plan the plan, whiteboard it, and take a look at it. And then also have someone check your plan. Like I, I would say, hey, hmm. David, does this make sense to you? Am I, what am I missing? Well, John, you, you forgot the widget. Oh, man. You're That's right. a big one. Having, having somebody widget. else to, to bounce something off of like that, and, that is and, a, a and it's, giant. It's the classic, be vulnerable to do that, and it's okay. And most people will respect you. They may give you a little ribbing there. Come on, John, how'd you miss the widget? I know, David, but next time you learn, and oh, by the way, David feels good that he helped you. You feel good that you got help, and you both learn next time, don't forget the widget. Yeah. So and, that's kind of how it came about. You're I, I really like that. I mean, just... The idea of kind of working backwards from from a goal and then really breaking that out—that's literally something that that normally just takes a long a lifetime to really kind of learn all that. I know it sounds ridiculous, but it just does. It's um, a process. Yeah, it's a process, and a lot not a lot of people have those things taught to them. And like you were saying, you know, younger younger generation they might not have those um, those processes or skills kind of set up already. And it's a, it's a huge shortcut. So I, I think anybody uh, can benefit from that for life and, and business and everything. So um, well, very impressed with that. I appreciate it. That, that's, those are good words to hear, the kind words. Thank you. I appreciate you uh, kind of going through it because, like I said, it, uh, it, it peaked out at me too. I, I looked at it, looked at the link, and uh, so it's definitely something I want to check out myself. In fact, I'll, I'll read it and then uh, let you know kind of my thoughts on it too. So um, that I'd way appreciate you, that. 
Yeah. And just if I forgot a widget, just let me know. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you did not. I'm, I'm sure you got more knowledge than I do times a hundred. So, um, so I was thinking about, you know, you, you kind of mentioned data centers. Obviously, that's a, a big focus for you. Yes. And I was thinking just how important they are. You know, just in my my lifespan in terms of business uh, life, um, where they started 20 years ago versus today, uh, how important they are for society, for business, communication, finance, you name it. And they've evolved a lot. And um, I really do see, you, you also mentioned critical infrastructure. It really is kind of a form of critical infrastructure at this point because so much goes through these things and so much is relying on them. Yeah. How has security adapted uh, to safeguard something like that? Like, what are what are some of the things that you can tell me that, you know, most people don't understand uh, goes into safeguarding? Um, the first, great, great, uh, great question and great acknowledgement of, of the, the criticality of, of how data centers work, moving data, moving information, moving payments, moving pictures and photos, moving real in near real time communications, things like that. They use um, data centers to put out emergency management things and, and stuff. So security is critical. You have the physical side, which, you know, get, you know, your gates and your guards and your fencing and things like that. And those are generally designed to set up a property line or keep, you know, let people, bad people stay out. Um, and then you have your access control and how do people get in? What does that look like? And then you have your layered, what I call layered detection and layered defense. Um, you have access to buildings. Is it a badge? Is it a pin? Is it a badge, pin, bio? What is it to get in a building and to get to various areas in the building? That's generally based upon the um, value of whatever asset. Same thing in your house. Sure. Um, I was explaining this to someone the other day. I said, you got a bottle of 100-year-old scotch there. You're going to open it when you're 80. So you can have nothing there. It's just sitting there, so it's very vulnerable. Or you can put it in a cabinet with a simple lock. Or you can have a cabinet with a master lock. And So I was just explaining detection and defense in depth. And that's the physical. And then you have your guards who are roving and patrolling. And then you have your cyber. And, and to me, that's, that's very important, too. Because how do you encrypt that data? And I, I'll be honest, I'm a knuckle dragger. I'm a physical security guy. But the world needs knuckle draggers sometimes. So my job, the way I've always approached it is, how do I keep the good people and allow them to come in access-wise, but keep the bad people out or have the ability to detect that a bad person or an untoward person is on my facility in, or in my facility, whether it's a large, large data center, whether it's a five-story one, whether it's a uh, college campus, a school, it's all the process which overlays to me. So how do you figure all that out? How do you have cameras? Um, and I know you and I have discussed different things with cameras and badging and yeah. how do I know when a bad badge comes up or how do I gain access? So to me, it's, it's the phrase of it's a, a system and a series of systems within that system. So everything has to work because if the, if the badge readers are doing great, but the cameras are failing or the access system to get people the right badges is failing or the gates are all open and nobody's there, well, then the badging thing really, okay, wow, it's great, yeah. but 
Everything else has failed. Right. So you look at the, what we used to define as the health of the system. Yeah, the and if whole the system, system is robust and with just enough overlap and or redundancy, you're probably in a good spot, my opinions. So how is it you do that? I always work from the asset back. What is the most valuable thing in your home besides your children, your dog, things like that? It could be a safe with your jewelry or cash or gold or whatever. It could be your Xbox. It could be your, your Ford Mustang in your garage. That's a cherry red. It's from 65. It's perfect. That's your asset. Okay. What's it worth to you? Are you willing to lose it? Yes or no? Are you willing to have a compromise? Yes or no? And as you start talking to people and discussing that with them, okay, well, I suggest your regular garage door that opens up. That's, I suggest maybe you upgrade your garage door. Well, here's the thing. And you and I both know this, there's a cost associated with those things, you know? And when people say, well, I want a million dollar system on a hundred dollar budget. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're not going to get it. Right. And what you don't want is when you need a hundred dollars, but somebody comes in and we've discussed this. Oh, here's a, here's everything it can do. We'll give you satellites in the sky and this. It's just a bottle of scotch, man. You know, so. Yeah, it's not Fort um, Knox. Yeah. So it's that balance. And it's, it's hard to balance the financial part with the system part because the system has to do what you want it to do to protect your asset. And then it comes back to how do you do that? Well, you got to know when people are moving around. You got to be able to detect early as you can bad people or people untoward. And right. then how do you stop them from getting behind what I say behind that door? How do you stop? Well, like you, like you're mentioning, John, it's, it's a, a layered system. So you have all these different layers that they have to go through. And yep. then you just mentioned like visitor management, you know, what kind of system is, you know, and then are they, are they uh, escorted, you know, by is somebody coming there to meet them and escorting them out? Right. And, and that comes to me. I I'm huge on training. I I'm, I probably drive, well, I, I know I drive a lot of people crazy with it, but training is critical. So if you say, hey, David, you're now an escort. All right, I'm an escort. So what do I do? Oh, you escort people. Oh, okay. What, what does that mean? So if you want to have a good escorting system, you train people, what is an escort? Task condition standard, right? Mm -hmm. What is it you're supposed to do? How do you do it? What if it doesn't go right? Because a lot of times I've found this too, is everybody says, well, everything's perfect. It's just perfect. And you're right, it is. But what happens when it's not? What, what happens if the escort doesn't show up? You're just going to let John in? Or if the escort's not trained in that particular area, it was many, many years ago, we had to provide an escort. We were going to provide it for a guy who was going to come in and do a systems analysis, which is a, a grand word. And they said, well, your guards are there and they'll do this. I go, my guards won't know what the person's doing. That guy could say, well, I got to take home these seven hard drives and uh, check them out. Right. Go, okay, good. And they walk out the door. Well, didn't you know? I don't know. So, again, coming down the right person in the right place, right time, a trained escort. Hey, we're going to go do this systems analysis. Well, then the escort ought to know something about it and be able to say, hey, you're not supposed to do that. Or then you get into your process and procedures. This is your scope of work or your method of procedure. You only get to do this. And you can't run over here and mess with this. You're focused on this 
rack of servers or this HVAC system or this SCADA system. So again, it comes down to training. And if something's not right, the escort can call. Well, who do they call? Well, they call an operation cell. Outstanding. Is the operation cell staffed? Oh, no. At night, we all go home and we take phone messages. Well, an answering machine's a great idea. However, can it deploy people to the area where there's a problem if a problem is detected, whether it's a leak or smoke or whatever? So um, that becomes a very interesting dynamic, too. So to me, under that large umbrella of security, you have all those pillars. It's like a 10-sided stool, each, and each leg or peg of the stool holds that stool up. They all have to work. They have to be even. They can't teeter-totter. One can't be better than the other. So that, that's how I approach it. Um, I'd like to believe I, I've been a little successful. Um, some people may debate that, but that's well, you mentioned you mentioned a couple things, but one, one, of the, one of them was just, you know, how do you respond to things? And so that really gets into the Security Operations Center. And this is, I mean, that's, that's a huge deal. Uh, and you're building these things out. So, you know, everyone thinks of uh, surveillance cameras, analytics, access control, intercom, you know, the, the usual kind of components. But you mentioned, you know, there's 10 other, other things out there, you know, that you have to think about and all these things balance, whether it's the perimeter PIDs and, and everything that goes out to that, depending on what the site is. Um, so can you walk me through what it takes to create, I, I guess, um, what's the lack of a better word, but like a, a level A, like a, a top level sock. Wow. Uh, that, that's a, I think that could be a totally separate <laughs> like an hour and podcast. Well, <laughs> um, my opinions, and I believe this because I've seen it. It's like when I was in the military, we'd have an operation cell. It might be two guys on a radio. I've been in places where you got 30 radio operators because you're getting so much information coming in and you become a lifeblood or a heartbeat or a thinking heartbeat of an organization. And we always have a thing, when in doubt, call the operations center. And it right. could be from a weather effect. You know, hey, is the site open or this? So you're constantly building out. So your operators have to be inquisitive. They have to be knowledgeable. They have to be polite. They have to be professional, courteous. They have to know how to do access. They have to know when that light comes on or the sounder comes on, where to bring that camera up, what angle they're looking at, how does it go. Um, they're generally a a higher uh, cut of a guard, meaning that a lot of them are more technical. Um, they have to understand, uh, and I said it earlier, is the system of systems. How do those cameras really work? How do they do their own internal camera audits when, if it's an exterior camera, does the has a bird built a nest right in front of the camera? Is the wind blowing um, the tree in front of the camera? Do they have clear field of view? What is a field of view? What does that mean? How far out can they see and identify? And if things aren't right, who do they call? Mm. When do they call them? And oh, by the way, how do they brief the person who walks in and says, what's going on? Um, so that takes a lot. And to learn how to do that, it takes time, takes patience, which I've learned really takes patience. It takes training, 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 and that training never stops because the biggest thing for response for me in the SOC is when they have to dispatch someone to a location. And while right. David is moving there, what information am I feeding to him from, 
hey, it's a simple alarm. The wind is the wind is uh, moving the door because the air pressures go over there. Check it out. Well, then we go back to the training when the officer David gets there and says, okay, what am I looking for in this door? There's nobody here. Okay, we're all good. Are we? Are you checking seals? Are there weather seals that are starting to rot or they're not right? Okay, well, we need to report that to facilities. So it's that constant thing. And how do they call back if they're going to respond to a fire alarm to determine if there is a fire? The sock and that person are hand in hand because you're guiding them up the stairwells or through the hallways. Okay, you should be approaching now. You should see this. Do you see anything? Because we're not seeing anything. How does that work? Um, when they dispatch uh, a mobile patrol to the front gate or the access gate or the delivery gate to meet the police to come on site to do whatever, or the fire or the EMS. So that that person is beyond is so critical and i've been in places where when you're starting out you're you're just going oh my gosh we're never going to make it but the guards start learning and you build on that and build on that and build on that and then you find the ones who are really good in the systems where they know how to call up badge data and access data and then you say okay start training each other sit next to each other cross train cross train so um to me to get those operators it can take years and it, it, I, on that a little asterisk, side note, it depends how big your operation center is. I right. mean, you, you, everybody sees the ones like in New York City, and I think people think, oh, my God, that's the op cell. I've been in places where they're in a, they're in a six by 10 room. The guy's got a desk, monitors are on the wall, and he's monitoring 50 cameras. It's probably not the best way to do it, but it's all they have. So, Or you turn and go, hey, David, you're in the sock today. Okay, I'm in the sock. What am I doing? Well, just that the camera comes up, let me know what you see. But then who do you notify? Who right. do you talk to? What do you say? And now that you've really got me going, which I'm, I'm sorry, writing a report. How do they write a report? How do they write down what they saw so it's in, it's in clear enough it's format with specificity so that when the, the supervisor ever comes by, there it is. And do they file the report locally? Or does it go up to headquarters in in Scranton, Pennsylvania, or wherever it might go? Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting too. Like you're seeing that position really needs to be more technical as we keep going, you know. Right. And, and because of all the solutions now, so they've gotten you know, the solutions have gotten a lot more advanced, and so now the people who are using them, um, you know, where before maybe twenty years ago, you know, it was pretty kind of a low skill. Uh, position, but now it's not. Uh, so that's yeah. a really good point that, um, you know, just like everything else, the more that they know about these systems and understanding the nuances of that and how all these things play together, uh, they just are going to be a lot better at their job. Agreed. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, you know, reflecting on your career, what are, what are some of the things kind of talking about, you know, somebody getting in, usually that's sort of an entry position to get into a, a company. What are some of the things that you'd have done differently. <laughs> so that's the first wow. question. And then the, the second one would be advice to the next generation, um, you know, wanting to pursue a, a career in, in security. Uh, I'll, I'll take, I think, what would I have done differently? I, I think that's the easiest one. I think I probably would have tried not to convince myself that I was the guy. Because you're coming brand new, you're not. 
and and I was trying to overlay what I took from the military into corporate security and everyone will thank you for your service or if you're a police officer, thank you so very much. But now you got to prove yourself. Right. And your past accomplishments, although could be various and really good and cool and 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 high level, you're you're new here. So I think I probably would have said be more humble. Definitely listen more. Listen more because Sometimes you're talking to these people, they've been doing it a while. Now, that doesn't mean they're doing it better or worse or anything, but learn from everybody. And I think I would have said, be kinder to yourself because I was always so frustrated. I'm not getting, I'm not getting it. Um, so I think that's what I would have done if I could look. And my thing is, in complete honesty, I probably wouldn't have listened to me anyway um, because, you know, it's just the way I was. Oh, I know what I'm doing. You really don't. I mean, you're like the car that's stuck in the mud. You're spinning and the mud's flying. There's movement. There's all this. But you, the car, aren't moving. You know, so I would have um, looked for more mentors. I think that's a huge mm. thing going to what I would say to the next generation. I agree. Look for mentors. Look like look and engage with people like you on LinkedIn, on, on with Defender and others and say, hey, do you have 30 minutes where I can just talk to you and I, you know, I'm getting out of this police force or I'm leaving the um, government service or I'm leaving the military or I'm, you know, doing this. Could, do you have any advice? Is there somewhere I could go? Is there a, a group or anything and, and engage with others? Because let's face it, as we move up, part of the thing on the book too was I want to give back, you know, I want to, yep. Hey, yeah, I wish I had had my eyes open enough to, have a mentor to sit down and have a cup of coffee and and say, hey, think about this, think about that, do this, you know, um, get a LinkedIn profile, you know, build that. And remember, LinkedIn is not Facebook, it's not Instagram, it's not, it's a social media site, but it's very business and business oriented. And, you know, the classic line, the business of business is business. Yep. And engage and join a couple groups and stuff like that and start reading and checking. Learn the lingo. Learn the language. Because if you can speak the language or at least understand it, you'll go, oh, I know that. I know what they're talking about now. Um, so for the younger people coming in now, you're going to start at the bottom. You're, you, or just a little over the bottom, right at the, you know, the... You're, but just you're not starting upper management. You're not you're not right. the CEO. You're not. So, but if you put in the time and you pay those dues, and I know we hate doing that. We we hate saying, I, but I don't want to pay my dues. Well, that's the highway. That's the toll. That's how you learn. That's how you learn. I had that conversation with my son. We were talking about something. He said, "It just sucks." I said, "You're paying the toll. You're paying the toll, son." He's like, "Yeah, I know, but it still sucks." I said, "Oh, I didn't say it was easy." I didn't right. say it was a, you know, I didn't say you were going to be in a Land Rover cruising down the road, but I said, one of the things is too, and here's the other thing, you might jump different jobs. That's okay. Because each job that you learn, hopefully you're, hopefully you're moving up or sometimes lateral to move up. But if you do that, you can look back and go, that job was the worst, but I met a couple people. And I did learn, if nothing else, those are the jobs I don't want to do. So everything, like you said, you, you learn a little each time, and eventually you have a podcast and you're a defender, right? Well, I was just going to say that uh, 
you were, you and I were talking earlier. It's just like with, with your kids, you don't want them to make all these mistakes that you made. So you're, you're trying to kind of coach them on, you know, yeah. here's what you can avoid. But at the same time, man, you know, people do, I think there, you can't avoid all of it. You just have to make mistakes. And, um, if you can learn from other people though, and you start cluing in on that, man, it's a, it's a massive shortcut. Uh, but you have to yeah. be willing to, to, to sort of take that advice, like from people that have been doing it a lot longer like yourself. And then yeah. I'd say, um, you know, the next thing is just being willing to, like you said, be humble, work through things. You have to, you have to work through, uh, from the bottom up and, um, this is how, how it works. You know, uh, that's how and, you learn. And on that note, ask for guidance, ask for help. It's okay. It, yeah. it, it literally is okay to say, I'm stuck. Even if you're in your organization and you're doing whatever, sometimes go out of that zone. If say you're in logistics or resourcing or whatever, go talk to the site operations people. Or, you know, when I talk about plan to play, if there's something there you don't understand, go talk to the security integrator. That's great advice. Go talk to these people and say, I, I can't link these up. Can you help me at least understand why I'm not linking it up? And they may turn to you at some point and go, John, you're not getting it. And you go, I know, but I just, I just want to let you know I'm trying. And sometimes that alone, they'll be more apt to uh, accept you and understand that you're trying, you're just not getting it. But they'll look out for you, you know? Yeah. And I think that's a huge thing, especially like for our kids. Can't do it all for you. What's that, uh, that phrase? Scars tell, good scars tell great stories, right? Well, it's, it's like uh, almost a different language when you go into a different vocation or department or whatever. And so it's hard to get all the terminology and everything that they're, that they're going through. But, you know, security does touch all of these departments. And so understanding, you know, how these things uh, work together with them and all that, that, that is super important. Uh, to sort of understanding the, the impact on their side of the fence, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Coffee and conversation can go so far in the morning. Absolutely. You know, the classic, I'm, you know, I'm so-and-so, and so I'm, I'm sorry, I haven't had time to, what is it you do and, and how, do, how do I help you? How do I support you or make your job better for you? And sometimes I say, well, not really. Oh, okay, how are my guards at the gate then? Are they, are they friendly with you? Are they... They're nice with you. Oh, so and so and so. Now you have a personal connection. You have a that bonding, and that that's really cool because once that happens, and this is in life, right? This is what you're trying to teach your kids in life. Well, I don't need to talk to them. Why not? What? Well, well, why wouldn't you talk to them or just say hi? Let them yeah. know you're a human being. So yeah, yeah, that Good goes point. a long way. Excellent point. Goes a long way. So, John, what what do you see? Just sort of looking ahead a little bit, um, and, and maybe just like right now, things that are on your radar in terms of security threats. What should security professionals be thinking about that they might not be? Um, just you know, across security in general. Oh man, there's another whole podcast, right? Yeah. Well, aside from cyber, cyber, you got state actors now. And a lot of times it's not that they're trying to steal stuff. They just want to make your life miserable and they can do it. Um, so cyber is always something. I think um, environmental hazards, depending upon where you live, um, that's always good. And to have plans for those um, that if people can't get into work or if you have flooding near your site, on your site, impacts to 
rescue, rescue EMS. If they can't get to you, how would you do that? Um, I look at always looking at the insider is how deep is that threat? Is it a credible threat? Is a real threat? And I think sometimes in general threats on the horizon, looking at it honestly and openly, is that truly a threat right now? Is it a threat in six months, a year, five years? Is it that? Because what you don't want to do, and as you and I both know, security budgets get very tight. They get very, very tight. It's like, you know, well, you need money for what? Is that even a threat? Well, no, not right now. Oh, so you don't need the money right now. So how do you self-educate on a lot of things? I think that's a huge thing. Self-education, looking at the threats, and can the threats be interconnected? Can, hey, that, is there a hybrid of that threat? Um, I, I'm always doing those things in my head. I'm always, you know, whiteboarding, tabletopping in my head. Could this be a threat? Could that be a threat? Um, I think also as technology, as we get more and more integrated, is that in itself vulnerable? Are you using, are you using third-party vendors? Who are using third-party vendors? Mm. Remember years ago when Target got wiped out because a third-party vendor who had a vendor didn't have all the firewalls for their system, and they were the the adversary was able to introduce uh, malware, you know that kind of thing. Right. How do you stay up and current with those things? How do you test those things? How do you uh, again train your people to the classic see something, say something, and we'll do something if you let us know and ask, bring it to us. I think um, a lot of that people are a or knowledge or lack of knowledge sometimes, or lack of understanding. I, I see that as threats, as a, a, a existential threat. I know it's weird to say that, but again, if you're not talking to your people or training them, they may make a mistake. Right. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from the on-site training. Hey, here's piggybacking or tailgating or whatever you want to call it. This is real. And that's part of the thing. Everybody's always looking at the big thing, but sometimes that little thing will get you, you know, just someone comes in, they're carrying all these books and all this, and oh, let me hold that door for you. And the next thing you know, they're inside, and you're like, "Hey, who was that anyway?" Right. Well, they're gone. Yeah, you know, they're they're in your generator yard or they're in your laydown yard. Well, who who was that person? Why are they driving away with all that copper? You know, that's weird. So those kind of things. Um, I. I believe, it, depending on your industry, if you're in the finance industry, like heavy finance, like some of the larger banks, clearly cyber and how do you encrypt and give the customer, I think this is in general as well, how does the customer know their data, their information, their cat photos is safe and secure and not going to end up where they would not want it to end up? Sure. And I, that's my biggest thing. There's just so much out there. Um, but I, I, I like to deal with what's local. If something happens in Japan, I'm sorry, but did it impact Kansas City, Missouri? Right. Can it impact Kansas, Missouri, Kansas City? Are we so interconnected that that fallout could um, creep out and come over? I don't know, but it bears looking into. And as a security professional, that's what you and I do. We we worry over the we worry over the the things so we can go back to our leadership and go yes that happened in Japan yes that's something for them over there however in our analysis and the way we looked at it no oh, by the way here's how we did it 
we are not we do not have a threat or the threat is extremely low and i think that builds the credibility that 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 could be a threat in itself lack of credibility to your guard force what is you know do people feel confident that you you all are there so a different divergent look i guess you know the, i covered the big ones but i always yeah. go local ground truth well, and you mentioned, you know, just you can have a local event, uh, you can have power outage, something goes, you know, crazy wrong, right? And so yeah. having generators or anything like that to keep to keep things going just depends on the, uh, you know, what, what it is, if it's localized or if it's global or whatever. Um, and so that is sort of that pen testing. So that that adversary testing, right, where you're you're going in Absolutely. there and, and, uh, and seeing what, what the what the bad guys would do. Um, I was going to ask you too, cause you've seen a million security products. So I, I have to ask, there's, there's so many on the market. It's just flooded. Yes. Um, and there's a lot of marketing out there to kind of go through, but not a ton of context around maybe how they solve a, a specific challenge. And so this is one of those things that I started kind of focusing on what, what's your process, John, of researching like a new technology to solve a problem that you're, you know, you're trying to address. Where do you start? Uh, that, that's, I think that's the critical question. Whenever you're looking at upgrading or buying new or extending life of a, of a system. I, I worked with a guy many years ago, brilliant. And he always taught me a phrase. What is it you want it to do? Hmm. What does it look like? So if you go and say, well, we need new cameras. Got to have new cameras. Okay. Why do we need new cameras? Well, the old ones aren't working. What's not working about them? You know, are they just at the end of their life cycle? And that happens. Mm -hmm. Or they're just not, you know, is it the cabling? Is it the networking to get them back? Is getting the infrastructure for that? Is getting out of dated? So I think a lot of times for me is defining, again, what is the need? What is my true need here? Um, I, I talked to, a, I did some consulting years ago as well. And the guy wanted cameras everywhere. And I said, wow. I said, well, why is that? Well, I want to have it at my house so I can do it. I'm like, you're going to have this all at your house. And he's like, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. I get it. And he wanted these cameras. He had seen that could see like, oh, you know, you've seen them that over, you could see a mile out and you could do this and you could, you know, see the thread on the jacket. And I'm like, do, do you, do you know what that even costs? And you want to, in, now you got to install them and integrate. Do you know what the field of view is? So I think for me is really defining the need yeah. and understanding what you want. Then you could go to the salespeople because like you said, you go to a, and I'm not, I'm not pointing at anybody. I want to make very clear on that. They have a product to sell and what do they do? Salesmen sell product and they're convinced their product is really good and they are good products. They're really, really good. But you need to go there and quiz them and say, hey, I, I met with my security and I need this, or it may cost a couple extra bucks. Fly the security person there with you or fly the people who understand it there with you so they can quiz this person. And if this person doesn't know or say, well, you know, we have a team that does that. Okay, who is that? I need to talk to them. And I think that doesn't happen because it's, time-consuming and maybe inconvenient. So what the last thing you want is someone goes to a show or goes online 
and reads these, you know, I got 4.9 reviews and a thousand reviews and everything's there. And, and oh, look, look what I bought you, David. Look what I bought you. It's amazing. I, I, I got you a VW beetle bug. You know, like we were talking earlier and you go, yeah, but I'm, I'm hauling hay and rocks. Yeah. But look at this beetle bug. It's amazing. And I got you five of them. I'm hauling hay and rocks. I need something durable. Oh, so you don't even want it. It's not that I don't want it. I can't use it. And if we were going to get new vehicles, maybe I should have been involved in that conversation just, just a little so I could frame it or I could tell you, hey, we, the vehicles we have right now, are, we got another year or so. Can we spend a year studying the issue or let's bring this up next time? So that's, that's <coughs> excuse me, that's what I try to do. Let, let's sit down for 10 minutes over a cup of coffee or a, a cold beer is always good. Um, and say, let's figure this out. Let's talk this out. What is it we really need here? Or, or, because if you make those bad decisions, and I know you've been doing this a while, and you, or, or not really great decisions, well, now we have to integrate it with our system because the system won't talk to each other. Yeah. And then the guy who sold you, you go, not a problem. We have a company that we work with, and they'll integrate it for you. Oh, that's great. Now we've integrated it. Well, we we're having some issues here. Not a problem. They have a help desk. And if you buy the service for four years, you get this. And all of a sudden, you're like, what did, how did we get here? And yeah. everybody looks at the security person and go, so how did we get here? Well, I don't know. I didn't even know where we started. So I didn't even know how we got. So to me, the biggest thing is always identify the need. Is, is it a true need? And is it what you have now not working? And again, going back to the whiteboard, the thing, is it a training issue? Do, do people just need new training? Hmm. Are the bat is the infra is the infrastructure or the networking? Does that need to be upgraded? Because the battery might be great. It's just the wires and cabling and moving more millis. I, again, ones and zeros. I'm not. I don't understand all that. But I think that's the biggest thing. What is the need? Identify the need. How do you anticipate trying to correct it or resolve it or mitigate it? Bring in the people who might actually be using the system, sit with them and talk with them, and you might find out, oh, we don't need this $3 million solution. We can do this for 10000 or, hey, we're good. We really are good. So that, that's how I try to approach. Because like you said, you, you go and salesmen sell, and they sell great product. They do great things, and that's their job. And sometimes the salespeople don't understand the integration part of how this truly and, and a really good salesman will look at you and says this is not for you the, the, what we're selling you is not for you right i would remember that person forever because you were open and honest with me and you saved me money time and probably some serious embarrassment so yeah i mean that's you, you kind of hit on you know what are what do you look for, John, in a in a vendor? Oh, I, I look for, I look for honesty. I look for that. Um, I hate when you feel like you're at the used car dealership, right? The guy comes up and he's, "Hey, how are you?" Or you you feel like the the lone zebra on the Serengeti, and all the salesperson are going, "Oh yeah, oh yeah." Um, I'll tell a quick story. Years ago, um, my dad had passed. My mom had to get a new car. Well, families back then, dad went out, got the car. Hey, honey, here's the car. 
Right. And my mom was a nervous wreck. I drove down from Rhode Island to New York. I said, I'll go with you, mom. So I said, what is it you want? Well, it has to have four doors. Okay, I'm guessing four wheels as well, right? I said, what are you going to do with this? I'm just going to drive around town, maybe go up to the beach house in Rhode Island. That's all I need to do. And she was really anxious. So we go there. This gentleman comes out and he's, oh, hi, how are you? And I said, look, dude. I said, this is the first car my mother's ever bought on her own. My dad used to buy them and this. He goes, not a problem. I got it. I said, please. She's nervous, please. He said, look. He said, he said, I've been here 15 years. He said, I'm one of the top guys every month. I said, okay, yeah, right. He goes, no. He said, my one rule is I would never sell anybody a car that I would not sell my own mother. He said, and I'll be honest with her. So he showed around. This guy was amazing. And I said, I said, thank you so much for making it. I said, now he goes, he goes, all, he said, all my business now is referral. He said, here's my card. He said, I guarantee you'll give that card to somebody. And I did. But it's exactly that. You want to, when you go for that system, you really are building a partnership. Yeah. You know, how many used car people use the moment you drive off the lot? See you later, sucker. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but now you got someone who goes, if you have a problem, you come back and see me. Don't see them, you see me. I'll make it right. Oh my gosh. Wow. Thank you. I really appreciate that. So that that's what I look for. That's how I try to do business with my partners on site and how I, when I deal with anybody who comes for systems, things like that to say, Hey, first off, I need to know what I'm looking for. I mean, you can't just walk in and go, Hey, what do you got? Right. Oh man, we got all kinds of stuff. <laughs> you know, So yeah, 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 it's probably, well, I assume that's very similar to your relationship with your system integrators as well then. Try, yeah. A lot of the stuff, they'll try to explain it to me, and I, and I have literally been in meetings. I go, I look like a deer in a headlight right now, don't I? And they're like, yes. I said, tell me the pathway. I can follow a pathway. I can figure out how this works. Okay, at what point do I need to have a guard there to make sure this is working or how does it, when a badge touches it. And once they break that down and they understand I'm a crant, you know, the knuckle dragger, crayon eater, you know, marble playing kind of, it becomes very easy for me. And then once I understand the flow and the process and how that works, it's easier for me. And that's just my way of doing it. Um, Cause I'm not really technical. Um, but then you see, remember, we go back to those sock folks. A lot of times I'll bring them to the meeting because they're smarter than me. And they'll ask those, okay, so does this, 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 does this? Oh, yeah, we got it. I'm like, okay, we're good, right? Yeah, we're good. We're good. We're good. Oh, okay. I feel better now. <laughs> Finish my coffee. Just sit in the corner and be quiet, John. We've got this. Let, let the adults talk. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So it's true. <laughs> well, it, it's like, you know, it, it's, it's putting great minds together in the same room and letting, letting everything yes. sort of get worked out um, by answering all those questions. And then, like you said, if you have good people at the table, then things get done. And then the magic happens where those relationships are built and that business goes forward. It, like you said, what you don't want is people trying to sell you stuff that isn't a fit or they just kind of want to, you know, get a sale yeah, or, uh, or you, you have to adjust your system around it. Yeah. Yeah. And the, then you're like, wait, why are we doing this? It's, it's that working backwards again. Uh, you know, it's here, this is the challenge that we're trying to solve. What, you know, what is going to alleviate that or mitigate it? 
So great point. point. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, you and I talked a little bit about what we're trying to do. Um, any, any sort of insights or anything that you would like to convey to the other security professionals that are listening to this on the defender community here? Well, it, it, Oh, sorry about that. Think about the name defender. You know, when they had the realm, who defended the realm, the defender defended the realm. Yep. And that's what we do. I mean, it's all in the name. That's what makes it work. That that's part of the, you know, the classic, you want me on that wall. And that's what defender does. That's what defender is about. It's about understanding all the things we've talked about here today and being that person, being that one who says, I can help you. And here's how I can help you. So to me, that, that, that works for me. And it, it become that partner in defense yeah. of your site, of your facility, of your house, of your home, of your business, your warehouse, whatever that is, defend it and be that person, a.k.a. a defender. You picked up. That's exactly why it's named Defender. It's not me. It's not our company. It's Defenders. It's it's named after the people who do awesome the work. So that's uh, kind of taking yourself out of it. Sometimes is is the best way to do it. So what, that's a great what, point. What would you like to see on Defender? Uh, um, more more of these kind of things. More um, talking. More podcasting. Um, more, more engagement with people. So hopefully this will bring more people in exchanging of ideas, thoughts, processes, um, more growth in that kind of way. I think that would be a great thing. So those are the kind of things I would love to see. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining me today and, and jumping on here and just having a good conversation about, you know, you have an amazing background, number one, and number two, just, uh, the insights and, and helping other people that are in the same industry, um, to, to hopefully, um, do something that's going to help them and their environment and where they work. So I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It was great speaking with John. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and hearing from other security professionals. Now, if you're not already subscribed, click the link below, hit the notification bell for new episodes. And until next time, this is David Wood Defender. 